Good morning. This morning we're going to look at, we're going to be flipping around a lot in your Bibles. So, um, but as I said earlier, John 17 is kind of the foundation of this message. Uh, in John 17, before Jesus goes to the cross, just a few hours before he spends time in prayer, and he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples that were there with him that night, and if you know Jesus today, he was praying for you as well, and I hope you were able to hear that at the end, the final section of his prayer. He's praying for you and for me, his future disciples, those who would hear the words of Peter and Paul and, and James and John, and those who would come to know Jesus, though they didn't walk with him or eat with him or speak with him or encounter his miracles with their own eyes, they would still come to believe that he was the Messiah. And at the end of John 17, Jesus prays that those future disciples would do a few things, that they would be one together, so that all those who claim to know the name of Jesus after he's already gone back to heaven and after Peter and Paul and James and John have moved on and are no longer here, that all those who still claim to know the name of Jesus would be united in their mission, the mission that Jesus himself had. He claimed that they would, he, he, he prayed that they would be one, that we would be one together, that we would know Jesus and therefore know the Father, that the love of the Father, which was expressed in his son uh, Jesus, which Jesus expressed in his going to the cross and dying and rising again, he prayed that that kind of love would be known among the disciples, would be known among the church, would be known among those who come after, so that the world, when they look at a Jesus follower, when they look at a church, when they look at those who claim to love the Lord, would see who Jesus really was. And that they would then come into that same community. That they would know who Jesus is. And so in John 17, Jesus ends his prayer with these things, praying that the Lord would make these things happen in the future. And so um, I want to now go to Matthew 28. And after Jesus comes back from the dead, and he spends some time with his followers before going back to heaven, I think it's safe to say he adds on to this prayer. In Matthew 28, the very last thing Jesus says that's recorded in the book is this, uh, starting in verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He's saying, I have accomplished what I set out to do. My mission I've finished it. And so now I have all authority in heaven and earth. I've done what I'm to do. And now I commission you to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. I think it's safe to say that we can add this on to Jesus' prayer when he comes back to his disciples and he says, here's what I want you to do. So today is New Year's Day. It's 2023. And generally people make New Year's resolutions. Maybe you make them. Maybe you um, 
don't make them, I don't know. Um, but today, I'm going to offer you a New Year's resolution that I think Jesus calls each of his disciples to make every year, every day, every moment of their lives. And that is to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you do that by teaching them to observe all the things that Jesus commanded. And now that's a big task. And I just want to leave you with just that, because I want to also show you, I think, how Jesus accomplished that. That was his mission as well, was to make disciples of all those that he came in contact with. A lot of people followed him. A lot of people didn't. Some loved him. Many hated him. But Jesus came to do this very thing. And I think if you call yourself a Christian and you say that you love the Lord, you would want to do the same thing that Jesus did on this earth. And so this morning, what I want to do is I kind of want to look at his method of how he went about the Great Commission. And then I want to challenge you to maybe adopt the same method in your own life. If you're looking for ways to grow closer to the Lord, what better way than doing what Jesus himself did? Now, just so you know, um, this is adapted from a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. You should read it. It's very good. Uh, but it's kind of a study. It's not very long. It's not hard to read at all, but it's a look at what Jesus did when he was on this earth, what he did before he came to this earth, and how he was setting up um, his kingdom work. And there's a chapter all about Jesus' own method, and it's called Demonstration, and it's how he showed his disciples what he wanted them to do when he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What he wanted them to do when he said, go preach the gospel to those in need. What he wanted them to do when he said, serve those around you. What he wanted them to do to be ready to follow in the way of Jesus. And he prayed for them. If you notice the second part of his prayer in John 17, he prayed that they wouldn't be taken out of the world, that God wouldn't spare them from the hardship of following Jesus, but he would prepare them for the hardship of following Jesus in a world that is hostile to the truth. And he prayed that for his disciples that night, and he prayed that for you and I, disciples who would come later. But he didn't just pray that it would happen, he also showed a way for you and I to follow Jesus' method of making disciples. And it begins with how we, uh, how we relate to God ourselves. You see, we had to prepare ourselves to go out to do the work. And Jesus himself prepared himself regularly to go out and to do the work of the Father. So there's three things that we're going to look at that Jesus did. And we're going to be, like I said, flipping a little bit uh, through the Gospels here. But three things that Jesus did, his method, if you want to call it that. Three things he did to prepare himself regularly to go and do the work of the Father. And the first thing Jesus devoted himself to regularly was the practice of prayer. He made it a consistent point to let his friends see, to let the disciples see him engage in prayer. Uh, over 20 times in the Gospels, uh, it is mentioned that Jesus prays. And for all sorts of reasons. He prays uh, when it's time to make personal decisions. He prays for his disciples. 
He prays for miracle power when it's time to do a miracle. He prays for confrontations when it's time to stand against those who would revile him and many other things. Jesus prays for God to come and to help him do the work of the Father. And that seems pretty normal. You're probably thinking, okay, that makes sense. I do that too. We pray for the Lord to step in and help us. We pray for his guidance in all things. But I think what's interesting, in all the mentions of Jesus' prayer sprinkled throughout, there are a couple of, uh, there are a couple of verses, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, that I could find, that aren't about personal decisions, that aren't about his disciples, that aren't about miraculous power, that aren't about confrontations, that aren't about other things. They're another uh, aspect of prayer that I think we forget and I think we need to make a better practice of. So in Luke chapter 5, you don't have to turn there, but you can if you want. Luke chapter 5, there's only one, one verse. Chapter 5, verse 16. It says this, and if you read through the Gospels, you'll notice this every now and then. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says this, So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. In Luke 3.21, it says a similar thing. In Luke 6.12, 9.18, and 11.1, it says a similar thing, that Jesus left his surroundings, left his friends at times, left the work that he was doing, went off by himself, and devoted time to prayer. I was reading a book, and uh, the author said that it's interesting that oftentimes we reduce prayer to mere communication, merely a way to speak to God or to ask him for something. And that's certainly part of prayer and an important part of prayer and one that God invites. But I think when we get verses like this where Jesus moves away from everything and he goes to a quiet spot or he goes to the mountaintop or to the valley or wherever it says he goes and he goes away and he prays, I think he's doing more than just communicating with the Father. I think he is in communion with the Father. And so I think it would be helpful for us, for disciples of Jesus, as we learn to devote ourselves to prayer, to learn what it means to pray in a way that is communing with the Father. I don't mean anything mystical or magical or anything like that. What I'm talking about is relationship building with the Creator God, who has called you his son and daughter. I'm not talking about just asking God for things or for help or for guidance, but simply learning who he is and letting him know who you are. Communing with the Father. When we, t uh, when we, uh, when we celebrate communion, we're celebrating an intimate picture of the love of God the Father. And part of that experience is to understand or try to understand what it means for God to have loved us, what it means for Jesus to have shed his blood and give it to you, what it means for Jesus to have had his body broken and give it to you so that you can be one with Jesus and one with the Father. Jesus practiced prayer in a way where he communicated to the Lord what he needed and what he wanted and for help, but he also communed with the Father, where he prepared himself for the work ahead. 
uh, in Mark chapter 9. You can turn there if you want. I find, I find this an interesting encounter that Jesus has. And it has to do with prayer. We're not going to read the whole thing, but in Mark chapter 9, there is a father who brings his son who is possessed by a demon, brings it to Jesus, and says, if you can heal him, will you heal him? If you can do it, will you do it? And Jesus kind of looks at him and says, what do you mean if? And what you learn in that story is that before the father had brought the son to Jesus, he would brought it to the disciples. And he brought the son to the disciples. And he asked the disciples, would you cast out this demon? And they couldn't do it. What's interesting to note about this as well is that just a few chapters before, Jesus had sent out his disciples to go away from him and to go into different cities and towns and communities and to heal the sick and cast out demons. And they went and they were successful. And they came back to Jesus and they said, wow, you're right. We can do all these things in your name. We cast out demons. And so then this father brings the son one day and they cannot heal him. And so the father is then obviously distraught And that's why he goes to Jesus and said, if you can do this, will you do it? And Jesus says, I can do all things. (laughs) I can do anything. And he talks about belief a little bit. And this is the famous passage where the father says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe you can identify with that. And Jesus walks over and he heals the son. In verse 25 of Mark 9, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took the son by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And then there's this interesting little part. Imagine this is later. After they've gone home for the day and the disciples are regrouping and considering what just happened in verse 28, when Jesus came into the house they were staying at, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus answered and he says this interesting thing. He says, this kind came out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Jesus spent his life devoted to prayer, devoted to being in communion with his Father, to communicating with the Father. Jesus' miracles, Jesus' actions, Jesus' ministry, Jesus' message were all fueled by the power of God. He says it over and over again, if you remember from when we looked at John. How many times did he say, I'm not speaking my own words. I'm not doing my own things. I'm doing the will of the Father. I'm speaking the words of the Father. This isn't just from me. This is from heaven. This is the power of the Almighty. This is what the message of the Almighty wants you to hear. This is his power at work. And so we get a picture, I think, of the disciples who had experienced the power of the Spirit in their own ministries And then came a day when they couldn't use that power, and they were questioning why. And Jesus says, have you devoted yourself to prayer? Have you been doing what you're supposed to do? 
Have you been in communication with the Father? Have you been preparing for these moments? Well, eventually these things happen enough that his disciples come to him one day and they ask him and they say, Jesus, we need to know how to pray. And we're going to look at Luke 11 for this. Uh, There's also, in Matthew, you can find this account. But we're going to look at Luke 11. It says this, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, again, one of those times when Jesus goes away and spends time with the Father, preparing himself and building relationship. When he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. It was expected, of course, for a rabbi to teach those who followed him how to pray. So they could learn, not like they didn't know how to pray, but they could learn how to pray like him. And that meant that they wanted to know what he thought was important, what he would ask God for, what he would center his prayers on. And then if they believed that that rabbi was in tune with the Lord, then they were, were assuming that their prayers, if, if they patterned their prayers after their rabbi, that they were honoring the Lord. And so Jesus says, well, then pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I don't want to spend too long here. We could. But Jesus isn't saying, here's here's this magical formula. You just pray these words and everything, you know, and and then you'll be be communing with the Father and you'll be uh, be, uh, accessing the the power of the spirits. It's not like that. Notice the direction of the prayer. Notice where it starts, notice where it goes, and then notice finally where it ends. And notice the content, what's important to Jesus to both declare about the Lord and to ask from the Lord. Jesus starts out by simply worshiping the Father, which is right for us to do, to acknowledge the fact that God is the creator of all and the creator of you and deserves the praise simply for that fact. So he, he adores his father to begin. And then he submits to the father's will. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Realizing that as he is spreading the gospel message, as he is walking on this earth, and this is Jesus, the son of God, right? As he is doing these things, he is in, needs to be in submission to the will of God. Knowing that whatever God wills, will certainly be done and Jesus is saying let that happen through me and then he asks for what he needs give us day by day our daily bread that of course could be physical food or sustenance or physical needs but the word of God is also compared to spiritual food right so this is what I need physically and what I need spiritually father give me those things And then he asks for forgiveness. He doesn't ask for forgiveness for himself, but he's teaching those who need forgiveness to make a point in their prayers as they are in communion with the Lord, as they are growing in their relationship with him to take care of the sin problem that everyone else except for Jesus suffered from. So Lord, forgive us of our sins and teach us how 
the Lord being willing to forgive us of our sins should um, dictate how we treat other people. So that when someone uh, comes and offends us, then we should not be able to do anything but forgive them as well. And then finally, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Of course, God would never lead anybody into temptation. God does not cause anyone to sin. And so the English is a little bit clunky here, but the idea is that, Lord, protect us from temptation. As we follow you, lead us in any path that is good so that we don't even come in contact with what is evil. And if that happens... Would you deliver us? This is the way that Jesus says, I want you to pray if you follow me. So you can pray those exact words, or as you pray yourself, you can follow this pattern. But see, Jesus' devotion to prayer was so important that he modeled it every day until his disciples came and said, we need to know what you're doing and how to do this. And then he said, okay, here's what you need to do. Now, go And for the rest of your time as my disciples, for the rest of your ministry, for the rest of the time that you go and make disciples, devote yourselves to prayer. If you go on in chapter 11, he teaches a few more things about prayer. In verses 5 through 10, he he teaches a lesson on how the Father wants you to be consistent and persistent in your prayer. And in verses 11 through 13, he reminds everybody that If you're praying to God in this way, you must know who he is as your father. And Jesus reassures his disciples that God is a loving father who only wants to give good gifts. And that makes going to somebody so much easier, doesn't it? That makes wanting to talk to somebody so much easier if you know that they're all about your good. That they're not up there looking for ways that they can uh, crush you. Or, or, that, they're, or that, they, that maybe they don't care about you or they're forgetful about you, but they are intensely interested in your good. And so Jesus says, pray like that. And don't just pray like that once or twice or a few times or when you're in need or when things are tough or when things are great. But consistently and persistently devote yourself to this kind of prayer. It's going to prepare you for the things that come next. So that's the first thing in Jesus' method that he showed his disciples, the practice of prayer. The second thing he shows them is the importance and the foundational use of the truth of the scriptures. Essential to Jesus' method of discipling was his reliance on and his use of the scriptures Jesus references the Old Testament. That was the Bible he had at his time. He references the Old Testament over 66 times when speaking to his disciples and over 90 times when he speaks to everybody else. Jesus claims to be the Messiah. We saw that all through the book of John, right? And if you read through the Gospels and you compile this list, you'll notice that generally when he makes a claim of being the Messiah, he is quoting some sort of passage from the Old Testament to show that that's true, that he's fulfilling this prophecy or that prophecy. And his point is, if you have ears to hear, his point is that it must be true 
because God's word is true, and if he's fulfilling God's word, then he must be who he says he is. People, like religious leaders and other people got caught up in, well, how do we know who you say you are? And Jesus would say, well, let me quote you this and see how I'm fulfilling that. And they would say, eh, I don't know. I don't know if you're really fulfilling that. I don't know if you really understand what the Bible was saying there. But if you have ears to hear, you'll see that the scriptures prove who Jesus is. So those were his claims of messiahship, but Jesus' teachings then, right? So there were times when he would say, I'm the messiah, and there were times when he would simply be teaching. And teaching what people thought was new or novel or different, and oftentimes it was different, but it wasn't necessarily new because he was simply teaching the scriptures and applying them the way they were supposed to be the way God originally intended for things. So if you read through the Gospels, you might encounter Jesus saying things like, you've heard it was said, or, or you've been taught this, or, or you've, uh, you've grown up thinking this, but I tell you. And then he'll say something that seems completely different. But it's all based in what God has been saying from the beginning. What God has been saying to people from the beginning. Jesus devoted himself to prayer, and he also devoted himself to the study and the application of Scripture. It was foundational to his ministry. Uh, if you want to see it in action, just go to Matthew chapter 4. And again, we won't read the whole thing. We don't have time for that, but Matthew chapter 4 is a, a classic example. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus goes off into the wilderness before he starts his public ministry. And again, we can spend many sermons probably on this and the importance of this chapter. If you're, uh, if you're ever tempted to skip this chapter, don't. There is great, great eternal importance at play in this encounter. But in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus goes to the wilderness and he's fasting and praying. He's in communion with the Father, being ministered to by angels. And at this time when he's at his physically weakest, at this point in his life, then Satan comes to tempt him and to get him to worship anyone else but the true God and to deviate from his mission and to sin and to become and to lose the ability or lose the right even to be that sacrifice that we needed. And what is Jesus' defense each time Satan comes to attack him? His defense is the word of God. Even when uh, Satan twists it or when Satan quotes the word himself in the wrong context, Jesus says, let me help you clear up what's going on. Let me tell you exactly what the scripture is saying. You're twisting it for your own means. But this is probably one of the best examples of Jesus' reliance on scripture because he uses it to wage a cosmic battle with evil itself. And in the end, who's victorious? It's Christ. And then it says at the end, then the angels come and minister to him, and I assume strengthen him again for his road ahead. Uh, I just want to point out one more thing quickly about the Scripture and how important it is to devote yourself to its study and its application in John 14, 
Jesus makes a claim that uh, is not startling to you and I anymore and probably not even to his disciples when he makes it. But if you're just coming into who Jesus is and you don't know anything about him, especially back in that day, this would be a startling claim. But by the time we get to John 14 in his ministry, Jesus has proven that what he's about to say is absolutely true. In John 14, verse 15, it says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And uh, in between this little section there, Jesus says over and over again, I and the Father are one. If you know me, you know the Father. And what he says is, if you love me, keep my commandments. What he's saying is, my words are on par, equal with the truth of Scripture. Jesus is the only one, obviously, who could make that claim because he is God. And God is saying, through Christ, everything I tell you is absolutely true and is on the level of Holy Scripture. So Jesus makes this claim, and again, if you didn't know anything about him, you would, uh, may, might be offended that he would dare say that, but that's how important the Scripture was to Jesus. That's how important knowing what it meant was, so that when he came and he spread his message and he said things that seemed contrary or that no one had ever said before, what he was saying simply was what God has always been saying. So consider the fact that devotion to Scripture is essential for walking the Christ-like path in your life and for knowing the truth, and not just to know it, right? Jesus didn't just know the truth. He was sharing the truth so people could then live it out. Um, let me just read to you. Paul sums it up perfectly the importance of Scripture. In 2 Timothy 3.16, you don't have to turn there, but this is what he says. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And Jesus was saying, making the claim that his words were the same, that same Scripture. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And in Psalm 119, 105, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, and you want to know what to do with your life, if you want to fulfill that great commission, if you want to be um, honoring the mission that Jesus gave you, then you must devote yourself to the practice of prayer and to the study and application of Scripture. And I say the application of Scripture correctly because that is also of significant importance. A great example of this is in Luke 8 when Jesus is telling the parable of the sower. And I bet if we asked everybody in this room, what's that parable? You all could tell me. And then if I said, what's the parable mean? You all could say exactly what it means. And I point that out because it's interesting in that account that as Jesus is sharing that parable to just everybody who's there listening one day, at the end of the day he goes home back to wherever they're staying with his disciples, and the disciples come to him and say, Jesus, what did you mean by that? <laughs> what, 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 what are we supposed to understand from this? And Jesus says, you get to know what I'm saying, so let me tell you. And then Jesus tells exactly what he meant by his parable. 
See, that's the understanding, that's the study and the application of Scripture. And that happens several times throughout Jesus' ministry. Well, that's recorded, but he's constantly using Scripture to express truth and then explain the complexities to his disciples. Study and application. And that's what we need to do. Devote ourselves to the practice of prayer, not simply as communication, but as a way to be in communion with the Father. So that, I mean, you probably, I don't know if you think about this, but um, when the Bible says, be praying constantly, right? That's really hard to do. There's not always every minute where I can just stop and be praying. But if we understand prayer as communion with the Lord, as being connected to him constantly, then you can be praying all the time. And imagine when you are faced with a situation, when you are faced with a challenge or faced with suffering or faced with something that you have to do or faced with dealing with somebody who doesn't know Jesus and needs to, imagine what you can do when you are constantly in communion and connected to the Father. So we need to devote ourselves to prayer like Jesus. We need to devote ourselves to the study and application of the word like Jesus. And finally, that led to the third thing he did. And this is all he does from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All he does is this third thing, and that is the kingdom's work. In Mark, he comes on the scene and Jesus says, one of the first things he says is, repent for the kingdom is at hand. He has come to proclaim the kingdom of God. And that is a natural outpouring of Jesus' devotion to prayer and his devotion to the scripture, the study and the application of it. He can't do anything but the kingdom work when he, is, uh, when, at, at, when he has prepared himself for the fa- with the Father. And I think the same would be true of you and I. The Great Commission, the thing that Jesus prayed for in John 7, is that we would be about the Father's business. We would be about kingdom work. Being unified as one to show the love of God to those who are out, uh, outside of the family or outside of the church, those who don't have any hope, those who don't understand who Jesus is, that's what he prayed for. That's kingdom work. And if you and I have devoted ourselves to prayer and scripture, then the natural outcome will be unity together, showing the gospel truth and love of Jesus. If you look at Jesus' day-to-day in the Gospels, you'll notice some interesting patterns. He doesn't often go seeking problems or trouble or conflicts. Normally, he walks into a situation, people come to him, and things start to happen, and he's faced with the situation. What does he do? How does he respond? Well, since he's been devoted to prayer, devoted to the scripture, we see miracle after miracle after miracle. And I don't mean things like turning water to wine, but I mean things like sinners being saved, realizing their need for Jesus, and turning from their ways and following him. A great example is the example, well, there's many, but um, if you think of the woman at the well, or if you think of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus might even be a better one it's not better, but we actually have, we have less information about the Zacchaeus confrontation, right? So, well, not confrontation, meeting. With the woman at the well, we get to see what Jesus says, like everything he says to her, right? 
But when Jesus meets Zacchaeus, all we know about him is that he is a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector. So he was a traitor to his own people. He was greedy. He, was, uh, he, he took more than he ever needed. He was rich, and he didn't care about those in need around him. And he's looking for Jesus because everybody looks for Jesus when he comes to town, and he wants to meet him, and all of a sudden, uh, someone like him, Jesus walks up and takes the time to look up in a tree <laughs> to see him and say, I want to come to your house, Zacchaeus. Let's go. And they go, and we don't know the exact conversation, but a verse later, Zacchaeus stands up and says, I'm going to give back more than I've ever taken. I'm done with my old life. Whatever Jesus has said to me, whatever I've seen in him, I have to have that. Jesus or Zacchaeus, in that conversation, however long it took, in that conversation went from being a, someone who uh, only cared about themselves, a sinner who realized their need for their Savior and realized that Jesus was that Savior. That's the kingdom work that you and I are to be about. And Jesus was able to do that over and over and over and over again because he devoted himself to prayer and to the understanding and study of Scripture. Now, I hope you take encouragement and hope from that because you have the same access to God through prayer and you have the same Scripture, the Word of Truth, that's just as powerful today as it ever was. And we still serve the same God who's still about growing and expanding his kingdom, who's still about empowering his servants to do his good work. The God who will never be defeated, the God who will never be stopped, the God who will continue to be as he was. You and I have same access to him and we can be about the same things that Jesus was. So if you're making any New Year's resolutions or if you're considering how you can serve the Lord this year, consider preparing yourself in these ways and learning how to devote yourself to God in prayer and devote yourself to him in the study and application of scripture. And let that, please hear this, let that not stop with you, but then let that spill out to others as you do the kingdom work of Jesus around you. Um, Jesus wouldn't give us a mission we couldn't accomplish. And we can't accomplish it in our own power, but he said what in John? He said, I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send the Spirit. You will not be operating in your own power. If you are following the Lord, you're operating in the power of God, and that cannot be stopped. So consider those things, devoting yourself to prayer, and to the study and application of Scripture this year. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the example of Christ. I thank you that he showed us what we can do. He showed us how we can live. He showed us how we can accomplish the mission he gave us. And Father, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged this morning to do just that not out of our own strength or our own will or our own desire to be a better Christian or, 
or whatever we might think. Father, simply out of grateful love for what Jesus did for us. Lord, I pray we would be so in love with who Jesus is that we can't help but follow him. We can't help but imitate him. We can't help but do the things he did. And Father, I pray we wouldn't keep those things to ourselves either, but we would share those with each other so that others may be blessed, others may be able to hear the gospel, and others may be brought into the kingdom, Father. Thank you for new opportunities. Thank you for new years and new days, new moments. Uh, and thank you that you give us the ability to, um, to follow you through the power of Christ. Be with us, Lord, and I pray that you're glorified in all these things. In your name, amen.